know, so as you may know, last week was the kickoff of the 2019-2020 football season. And it was such a glorious and awesome day, wasn't it, last week? My wife and I were, you know, from northern Jersey and New York, and so we're not really Eagles fans. And so if you were watching the game, you know they were down 17 to nothing. And I was about to, like, laugh at Keo's face, like, ah, your Eagles, they're going to lose, they're going to lose, right? But they come roaring back for the victory. How awesome is that if you're an Eagles fan? And if you're a football fan, you know a lot of games were really exciting, right? But you know what makes football the greatest sport? And I, I think I might have shared this in the past, but I think it's the greatest sport because compared to many other sports, it's the most team-oriented sport, right? Team-oriented. Because when you think about things like basketball, basketball, they run isolation plays. One last shot at the game, you need to win. You give it to the best player, and they'll carry you, right? Baseball, you have a really good pitcher. He, they can single-handedly shut down a team, right? And even be the guy that hits the home run. There are pitchers that will hit, hit a home run, too. But it's only in football. You need someone to hike the ball to someone else to get the play started. You have a line of soldiers, right? It is, it, that's why it's called a line of uh, players. And it's called linemen for a reason. To block, and if they don't block, they're going to go right in and get to your quarterback. You need someone that's going to quarterback the play, that runs the play, someone to receive the ball or run with the ball. And so there's all these different aspects. And when you see everything come together, right, everyone doing their job, everyone playing to their strength and their giftedness, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it, to watch that sport come together. In the same way, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but when you think about God, Scripture tells us there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? One God, but three different persons with three different uh, roles. And when they work together like a well-gelled football team, it's a beautiful thing. If you remember last week, Pastor Chris shared, not only in this passage here, but if you actually look from verse 2 to verse 14, it's one long sentence in the Greek. It's like one long run-on sentence almost. And so in the midst of difficulties, Paul tells us in the beginning, remember the very first preaching of Ephesians? In the midst of difficulties, where do we look for, for strength? God's will, right? God's calling, his grace and peace. And then in the midst of difficulties, in this somewhat long run-on sentence, Paul gives us three reasons why we can still praise God, right? Three blessings that we have. And last week we saw Pastor Chris preached about by God we're chosen. We're chosen by God. What an awesome reason to be blessed and to praise him. This week, we're going to look at what it means to find redemption in Jesus. So last week was about being chosen in God. This week is redemption in Christ. And next week, to give you a sneak preview, is the benefits of the Holy Spirit, right? Three different players on God's team. And so this morning, to really understand what it means to be redeemed, again, I'm going to follow Pastor Chris's uh, um, his pattern. Last week, usually we do three-point sermons, but this week we're going to do two points. First thing is, what is redemption? What is it? What does it mean to be redeemed? And second, what's the purpose of it? Why did God redeem us? And as much as it's important to say, 
what happened? Usually in life, the question of why is more important, right? Who cares even about how God created the earth? Like, we're so interested. Is it the Big Bang? Is it evolution? Who cares really how the earth came together? The most important question is, why are we here, right? What's our purpose? And so first, to begin to learn about redemption that we have in Christ, what is it? You know, as someone who loves watching movies, back in the day, one of my favorite actors used to be, used to be uh, Mel Gibson, until he went a little cuckoo in the, in the brain, right? He went a little crazy. And I loved him because he made awesome movies. He made movies like Lethal Weapon. How fun was that back in the day, right? Lethal Weapon, uh, Maverick. I don't know if you guys saw that. And then there's Braveheart, right? Which I'm sure no one can forget. But one movie from the 90s that I'll never forget is uh, this movie here called Ransom. And I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but Mel Gibson plays this uh, millionaire, because I think he owns an airline, right? He, he's this millionaire, and everything's going perfect. He's having all these dinner parties. They're doing these toasts at his house. It's, like, so fun. He lives the best life. Until one day at a carnival, his son is kidnapped. And his son is tied up blindfolded, and he's held hostage. And the reason why he's kidnapped is because these kidnappers refuse to return the boy unless Mel Gibson's willing to cough up a ransom, a ransom of $2 million. And my goodness, when the first time I saw this, I was like, wow, this is a crazy storyline. Because I know these days, it's not that special. There's movies like Taken with Liam Neeson and all these different movies. But I think this was one of the first movies that touched on this crazy topic of kidnapping, right? And that they wouldn't return the child unless the father's willing to pay a ransom. In the same way as we ask, what is redemption exactly about? What does it mean? What I want us to understand is all of us are like this boy who is being ransomed. And what I mean by this is, first of all, the Bible tells us all over the place that due to our sinfulness, that we are spiritual prisoners, that we're chained down, we're held as captives, we're held as basically hostages by Satan unless our ransom is paid for. And this is where Jesus comes in. This is Got his role in God's football team, if you want to say. If you look at verse 7 in the original language and you look in the Greek up here, right, the Greek word for redemption is apolutrosin. Apolutrosin with the prefix over, uh, I think it tells you down here, the prefix apo meaning from or out from, and lutrosin comes from the root word lutrosis, meaning ransoming. And so the word redemption means out from a ransoming, right? That's what it means. And so what's amazing to see in our text, what it's telling us is Satan demands a lot more than $2 million. Actually, a lot more than even $2 billion. And Mel Gibson, if you watch the drama, is that he refuses to pay the $2 million. But when you look in Scripture, even though Satan's demanding more, The Bible tells us Jesus bought us, or Jesus brought us, 
brought us out from this ransom with the payment of his blood, the payment of his life. But you know what the key is to understanding the depth and the gravity of Jesus' redemption is I don't know if you caught this, but you need to read this verse 7 to understand this idea of ransom. Tie it with verse 8 together, which says, we have this forgiveness, we have this redemption, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and all insight. And so redemption is tied with God's all-knowingness. He knows everything. Why is this significant? You know, in premarital counseling, when we're talking about marriage, uh, one thing we try to get across is it's not just a flimsy agreement. It's not, I like you, you like me, let's get together, what the heck, you know? It's not like that. But there's something deeper there. Marriage is a covenant, right? It's this deep commitment. And one of the books we read together to help us understand this covenant is this book by Tim Keller. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. And one quote that I'll never forget, he says this in his book down here, if you look at this quote. To be loved but not known is comforting, right? To love someone but you don't really know them. If they love you and they don't know you, it's okay, right? It's comforting. But to be known, if someone knows you and they don't love you, that's your greatest fear. That's our greatest fear, isn't it? That somebody would know us for all of our wickedness and our evil. And so they say, uh-uh, I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to marry you. But the third part, to be fully known and yet fully loved. Well, that's a lot like being loved by God. To be fully known and fully loved. To be fully known, all the things we did in the past, all the things that we did when we think nobody was looking and we got away with, right? To know all the evil thoughts and all the wrong motives in our heart, and yet to be fully loved. Wow, that's what Tim Keller is saying is the love of God. And so you see, to really understand what redemption means, Paul ties redemption with being fully known. How awesome is that, that Jesus paid this unimaginable ransom amount by giving up his blood, giving up his life, and yet how much more, more amazing it is, not just the amount of money or what he gave up, how much more is it amazing that our all-knowing God knows all of our flaws, all of our weaknesses, and yet he still says, I still hold my position. I know. You don't have to tell me, Satan. You don't have to tell me about their weaknesses. I still love them, and I'll pay whatever it costs to have them. Amazing, isn't it? That's what redemption means. And this is important for us because, you know, when people come across the truth of redemption, people often respond in one of two ways. Many people, maybe because we've been attending church for so long and we know all these things, the doctrine of redemption doesn't really affect us as much. Because honestly, a lot of times we think we're decent people. We're not slaves. We're not prisoners who are tied down, right? which is partially true because Christ has already set us free. 
However, as long as we live on this side of, the, uh, of heaven, right? As long as we are struggling with sin, we're fooling ourselves. And we have a poor sense of self-awareness if we don't think we need this doctrine. If we don't embrace the truth of redemption on a regular basis. If we really get how broken we are when we remind ourselves every day of the redemption we have in Christ, what joy and confidence it should give us. On the other hand, some of us might be thinking, it's not that we're too good for it, but some of us on the other side, we might think we're too messed up. Pastor Tom, you don't know the things that I have done in the past and how much it will disgust you. You don't know the thoughts that I've ha I have. And you know what? I probably don't. I don't know everything about you. I don't know all your thoughts. But the whole point is God does. He knows everything, and yet he still says, I love you. And although we might be a people used to others only forgiving us to a degree, right? If it's not that bad what we do to other people, then we'll forgive them. But if it's really bad, no way. How could I forgive them, right? But if you're reading what I'm reading here, Jesus' redemption runs deep. There's no degree, but there's full forgiveness. And scripture tells us because it's in accord to the riches of God's grace. He's not cheap. If he's going to give it up, if he's going to give up his son and give it all, then surely he will forgive all of your sins. That's the great promise that we have. The second thing I want to touch on is to understand redemption. Not only what is it, how awesome and how deep it is, but I want us to understand the purpose of it. Because if we get the purpose, it will drive us to live in a certain way. You know, as I was considering movies back in the 90s and even 80s, uh, as I was thinking about today's text, I couldn't help but also think about this movie here, Glory. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but this movie takes place in the 1800s during the Civil War, right? And it mainly follows this 54th Regiment, which was known to be the first all-black regiment led by a white colonel. And most of us know the Civil War was between the North and the South against the Union that's in the North versus the Confederacy that's in the South. Most of us know what the Civil War is about. But what most of us don't know is some of the issues that the North had to deal with internally as they were trying to work together. And to give you one example, during the movie, Denzel Washington, he plays this soldier, and he gets flogged for running away, for going AWOL, according to the union. And so the colonel, Matthew Broderick, he orders that he gets whipped. And he's standing there getting whipped and whipped, and everyone's like, what the heck, why did you run away? And we find out the reason why he ran away was because he went to look for shoes. He went to look for boots that all the white soldiers get but he didn't have any. And so when Matthew Broderick finds out, he's like, what the heck? He goes to the other white officers and says, you guys are so racist. Another issue was when the black soldiers realized they were only getting paid $10 compared to the $13 that the white soldiers were getting. 
And this creates this huge uproar, and they get so pissed, they rip up their pay vouchers. And even Matthew Broderick in camaraderie, he rips up his too. Because this is not right. And so you can see why through all, this is just a couple of uh, issues, but through all these things, even though they're on the same side, the movie shows and highlights how they never liked each other. They never supported each other. They never helped each other because it was just unfair. No one worked with one another until the very end. You see, the union really needed to take over this one fort, Fort Wagner. And it was basically on this island, if you can imagine, with this one strip of uh, land that came out. And so this fort was well protected because water naturally protected everything. And anyone that came down that one strip, you're dead meat. You're going to get mowed down. All the guns and cannons, they're pointing to it. And so when they had to take over this fort, guess who? Even though everything was unfair, even though they were fighting within, guess who volunteered to be on the very front line? The 54th Regiment, the all-black one, that they would go and they would march before the white soldiers to say, we're going to be at the front line and we'll go fight first. And so check out this very short clip that I brought with me. You see, when the white soldiers realized what was at stake here and what these guys were doing in terms of sacrificing for the greater good of the Union, finally, at the very end, finally they come together and they start cheering for one another, right? 
And as we go back to our text and we ask, what is the purpose? Why would Jesus redeem us? You know, for the longest time, I always thought redemption was about us as individuals. Jesus is redeeming us. He's fixing our mistakes so we can be victors, right? And I guess that's, that's partly true. But if you look at our text, you know what it tells us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, which he lavished upon all in all wisdom and all insight. Why? To make known the mystery of his will and purpose, a plan to unite all things in him, heaven and earth, the things on earth. You see, yes, redemption reveals that it's always been God's plan to save his people. But the greater purpose is to save his people so all things on earth, heaven and earth, it will be finally united. And what this means is first, you know, things in heaven and things in earth will be one. If you think about that, that's a crazy statement. Things in heaven and things on earth. All the things that we've been praying for, especially in the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All those things are going to happen. All the people in heaven, all the lost ones that we love, the Christians that are back in, uh, the ones that are already in heaven that Chris talked about, the angels, the heavenly creatures, we're finally going to be united to get with them Sharing in the glory of Jesus. But you know what else Jesus' redemption means and what the purpose is? Not only to unite heaven and earth, but to unite the people of earth and the people of earth. And what I mean by this, friends, is God's ultimate purpose for redemption is to pay a ransom, not just to rescue us, but a ransom to unify us. Unify us to God and unify us to one another. And brothers and sisters, listen here carefully. Sometimes we lose the bigger sight of life, the bigger picture of life, don't we? Because you know what the Bible tells us? Just like this movie Glory, we too are in a war too. We're in this spiritual battle. And the Bible talks about it. But the sad thing is, similar to this movie, instead of joining together, instead of working together, fighting against Satan, many times we're fighting against each other, arguing and fighting with one another. And Grace Point, I don't think I need to tell you, but this is not right. This is not what God wants. It goes completely against why Jesus redeemed us, to unite us. And so if you're a Christian this morning, and as the com one commentator notes, he says, if you're a part of the redeemed, if you're a believer, God's purposes will naturally become our purpose. God didn't reveal this mystery. He didn't reveal this plan for nothing. The reason why he revealed it, the Bible is clear that he uses his people to accomplish his will. 
And so if we are a part of the redeemed, if God's purpose is our purpose, instead of being a divisive people, which all of us in this room can be, right? Instead of being a divisive people, we need to consciously and actively seek to be people who are reconcilers. Not divisive people, but people who come together. And for some of us, this may be seeking forgiveness in, with our family members. Some of us have been fighting with our spouses for the longest time. Some of us mean seeking forgiveness with our parents and our brothers and sisters. Some of us were adults, 40, 50 years old, still fighting with our siblings, still bitter from the past. Some of us hate our uncles and aunts. Some of us are here who are parents and hate, may hate your children. And you have to say sorry to even your own children if you have wronged them. Some of us, this may, be, may mean getting right with our spiritual family here at Grace Point. Confessing our sins to one another. Showing grace to each other. Loving each other. Fully knowing our weaknesses and yet fully loving each other, right? Forgiving one another. Because friends, I'm telling you, holding grudges, it never works, and it's never good for the church of God. And so whatever it is, whoever it is, if we truly believe the gospel, if we want to live it out, if we want it to be at the center of our relationship, we have to move past our issues. And we need to let Jesus bridge that gap. And I tell you, Grace Point, if we would do this, if we would only have the faith to do this and follow what Scripture is mandating us to do, this isn't like, oh, guys, I think you should forgive each other. It's a command. It's a mandate. Forgive each other. And only if we would have the faith to listen and follow, we will be a church that's far more than just coexisting. A church that has far more than a superficial peace. If we would only have faith to reconcile with one another, finally, we will be unified like we were meant to be. Finally, we'll be that church that cheers on one another, right? That roots on one another. Because that's what we were meant to be. If you're not a Christian here this morning, this message of redemption is for you too. It's not just for believers to be reminded of this, but it's for you. Because without Jesus, you may think you can go to and fro wherever you want, but what the Bible says is we're really in bondage. We're really chained down, and we're really like that hostage in ransom, that kid that couldn't free themselves, that didn't have $2 million, to, didn't have the resources, no, no ability and no resources to free himself. But the person who does have all these things is Jesus. He's the ransom price that Satan demands. He's the one that lays down his life. He's the one that says, you know what? Tie me up on that cross in order that you can release and free the hostages that you are holding. And so if you're not a believer, would you turn to Jesus? Because if you do, you will not only find freedom from the chains that Scripture talks about, 
but you'll have this freedom to seek unity, to seek unity with God and to seek unity with the brothers and sisters at church as well.